after we sing a song like, How Great is Our God. We just want to say once again, thank you. I thank you for your loving kindness towards us, for the compassion that you have bestowed upon us, for your steadfast love, for your mercy and your compassion. I pray that we be grateful. You are indeed great. And I pray that we would so surrender to you that you would live your life through us and draw attention to yourself. In other words, our lives would put you on display and would show how great you are. Lord, you call us to be different. We are children of the kingdom. Please teach us your ways this morning. Very simply put, may you be exalted in us and through us. The Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak through me this morning to touch lives, to change lives, to deepen our relationship with you. And may we gain a greater appreciation for who you are. May the end result be that you be praised that we would sing of your praises and that praises would flow easily, naturally out of our mouths because it comes from a heart that is yours. I ask that in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. We're going to conclude our series on God's chosen fast this morning, and I want to begin with a story, and it began uh, this past week. Of course, last weekend was Memorial Day, and I trust that you had a, a nice, sunny Memorial Day, right? It rained all day. I was warned that it was going to rain on Memorial Day. That's kind of the, the routine in Washington State. But the History Channel had a three-part series entitled Grant. I don't know if anyone uh, watched it. Um, I thought it was pretty good. I, I watched a little bit of it. Anyways, it got me thinking. This uh, documentary series was about General Ulysses S. Grant and his role in the Civil War. Now, while the American Civil War, and I'm not a, a Civil War buff or anything, but I do like watching these things and learning about these events, it officially ended on May 9th, 1865 at the Appomattox Courthouse. But historians will generally agree that the Civil War, or at least a turning point of the Civil War, that it actually ended July 3rd, 1863, two years earlier, at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, the Battle of Gettysburg was a particularly bloody battle uh, with over 51,000 casualties. And the things I learned as I was looking into this, that America thought it would be a pretty quick war. One of the first battles, and I don't remember where it took place, but there were actually civilians, like an audience that came from the north to watch the battle. 
And of course, when the Confederate Army won, they were hurrying back to Washington. And the Confederate Army was led by better generals, Stonewall Jackson, Robert E. Lee. And Robert E. Lee had the reputation of being almost invincible. And President Abraham Lincoln was going through general after general in the Union Army until he settled on Grant and a few other generals. But for the first two years of the war, battles raged throughout the southern states. And the Union took the worst of the battles in many cases. Now, the Battle of Gettysburg, it began in the morning of July 1st, 1863. Commanding for the Confederate Army was General Robert Lee, and commanding for the Union Army was not General Grant, it was General George Meade. General Grant was laying siege, I believe it was, to Vicksburg at this time, kind of the Confederate capital or stronghold. But the battle began when a Union cavalry intercepts the Confederate infantry marching towards Gettysburg. The fighting escalated throughout the first day until the Union soldiers were once again forced to retreat. The second day, on July 2nd, the two armies battled to no advantage on either side. But history is about to be made on the third day, July 3rd. On the afternoon of July 3rd, 1863, General Lee ordered one of the most infamous military moves in history. The Confederates launched a massive cannonade followed by an infantry assault that is known today as Pickett's Charge. So they were basically, as you'll find out, going to go to the center of the battlefield with their cannons in an attempt to just destroy the Union Army. So Confederate forces, numbering 12,500 roughly, began a three-quarter mile march to the center of the Union position. And they were taking tremendous casualties from cannon fire along the way. The Confederate assault on the third day was supposed to have been a three-pronged attack. General Jeb Stuart and his cavalry were tasked with riding around the Union position and attacking from the south. Forced to defend his rear, General Meade would not have been able to reinforce the main battle line. However, the Union cavalry clashed with uh, General Stewart east of the Gettysburg field, preventing this disruptive attack. Now, to make matters worse, the Confederates' cannons, they had mostly missed the Union line and instead flew overhead. They hit pack animals and supplies and wagons and so on. And with now no support and with withering numbers, the Confederate infantry attacked the Union line and a vicious hand-to-hand combat ensued. Now, there's much room for debate amongst historians on which battle and which circumstance most turned the tide toward a Union victory, but what is called the high watermark at Gettysburg surely near, is near the top of the list. In most degree, it is at the top of the list. The Confederate Army, some of them, did break through the Union lines in some places. They got as far as... Uh, Union cannons before they are eventually beaten back. So you'd have your infantry, and behind that you'd have the cannons, but that's as far as the Confederate Army went. The devastation the infantry had sustained 
during that three-quarter mile long march across an open field left them in too few numbers to rout the entrenched Union forces. The furthest point where the Confederate soldiers penetrated the Union line is known today as the high water mark of the Confederacy. And it is marked by the high water mark of the Rebellion Monument. This spot, most historians believe, marks the turning point or marked the turning point of the Civil War. Even though the Confederate Army lost, and this is the point, they didn't realize it until two years later at Appomattox Courthouse. But in reality, they'd lost on July 3rd, 1863. But they didn't know it. Now, last week I gave you three purposes for fasting. I'm going to put them up here on the screen for us. Personal holiness, to change God's mind, and to have your prayers heard. This morning I want to give you two more purposes for fasting. And I want to begin by a way of reminder and it was good for me to be reminded of this as I was preparing this sermon. Paul wrote this verse for us in his letter to the Ephesians. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We are at war. And that we remind you again, we are at war. The turning point in our war, of course, came at the cross. There Jesus defeated Satan and sin and death. And Satan and his army lost at the cross. But they haven't fully realized it yet. Satan continues to wage war. And it is our job to take the fight to our defeated foe, together with the Holy Spirit, to aggressively advance the kingdom of God. And this leads to the next purpose for fasting. We fast to set the captives free. We fast to set the captives free. Do you remember when we began our study on fasting? We went to the chapter on fasting in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 58. I want to read to you verse 6 of Isaiah 58. Is not this the fast that I choose? So this is the fast of God's choosing. And what is it? It's not the form of fasting. It's not the going without the food and the sackcloth and the ashes and, and all of that. No, it's to what? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Now, in this instance in Isaiah 58, yes, there wasn't actually a physical oppression going on between the Israelites, the rich and the poor, and he was addressing this to his people. But there is also, for them and for us, a spiritual oppression. 
that is going on. And where captives need to be set free. Now, do you remember the purpose for which our Lord came? Why did Jesus Christ come to the earth? In the very beginning of his ministry, this is what he says. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he's in the synagogue and he is preaching for one of the first times. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Now listen, he has sent me, and this is to do what? To proclaim, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So from the very beginning, Jesus' ministry was focused on setting the spiritually oppressed free from their captor, and their captor, of course, being Satan. This focus was reiterated and repeated by the early church. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, let us hear their words about the ministry of Jesus Christ. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. So the ministry from God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit is people are oppressed spiritually by the devil. And his son came to set them free from that oppression. You see the picture back to the Isaiah 58. The people are to act like God. Set the oppressed workers free. Fast for that purpose. That's an acceptable fast. That is a fast of God's choosing. And again we see motive is the boss. Now this ministry that Jesus literally proclaimed he was doing and did, what the early church reiterated, it was not just for Jesus. He has passed his ministry on to us. The disciples in Luke 9, verses 1 to 2, this was their mandate. And he called the twelve together, meaning Jesus, called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And let's just stop there for a moment. He gave them power, the Greek word dunamis. He gave them authority, the Greek word exousia. You should know what those mean by now. Had miracle working power and the authority, the, 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 the power with a badge behind it like a police officer. He gave you all of that over all demons and all diseases because his people and the people are oppressed by demons and by diseases and he came to set them free and he empowered us to set them free deliver them from evil spirits cure diseases and he set them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the healing is the setting the people free from the oppression. 
The other healing that takes place is a spiritual healing. You're reconciled to God through your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the message we proclaim. It's a message of freedom. And that's the ministry that Jesus gave to the first disciples. It was the same ministry that he has and had and has. So the same things he did, we are to do. But it's mind-boggling, this next verse, we're to do even greater things. John 14, 12, Jesus speaking, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me also will also do the works that I do. And what were the works that he did? Well, he came to set the captives free. What did he do? Proclaimed a message of freedom. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He set captives free. Those who were oppressed, he set free. Remember the story of the old lady that was bent over for all those years? I think it was for 18 years. Jesus said she was oppressed by the devil. And he healed her. He set her free. Greater works than these will you do because I'm going to the Father. So, what in the world does fasting have to do with spiritual warfare and the works that God has for us? Well, if I may again simply put it this way, fasting adds power to the work God has planned for us. There are times when what I call normal ministry, it simply is not enough. We need something abnormal, something supernatural. And this is where fasting comes into play. And this is something the disciples had to learn. The normal methods for setting the captives free were not working in this one story we're about to go to. So our Lord taught them this, and this was actually crucial for us in ministry. Mark 9, 29, attempting to cast out a demon that wasn't working, the normal methods. So what does our Lord say? He said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Are you beginning to see why maybe you haven't heard much or studied much or done much fasting, your enemy, the one you're at war with, does not want you to know these things and to be doing these things, to be fasting and to be praying. It is a powerful formula, if you want to call it that, given to us for a number of reasons, and one of them being to set the captives free. Now, this lesson, there's some that come out by nothing but prayer and fasting, it has been learned by saints throughout the ages. I had never heard of a pastor, Johann Blumhart, but here is his introduction to prayer and fasting and setting the captives free. This is an eight, a story from 1840. So just so you know that this is something that he was doing and he was learning about. 
In the spring of 1840, a family by the name of, uh, the last name of Didis, consisting of two brothers and three sisters, moved into the village where Pastor Bloomhart was pastoring. Uh, the youngest was a young girl by the name of Gottelbine, a young girl who struggled with one illness after another. Ever know anybody like that? Gottelbein regularly attended services held by Pastor Bloomhart, but struggled with bizarre reactions to his presence. The girl became increasingly tormented by sounds, lights, and a sense of physical presences around her. And late in 1841, Pastor Bloomhart prayed for her, but she did not get better, but in fact got worse. Finally, she came under such attack, they thought she was going to die. Pastor Bloomhart and his close friends began to cry out to God for wisdom to save this young woman. They searched the scripture for direction and guidance, and one day, as he visited the young girl, it became clear to him that something demonic was at work. He was upset that nothing seemed like it could be done. So finally he cried out, Godalbine, put your hands together and pray, Lord Jesus, help me. We have seen enough of what the devil can do. Now let us see what the Lord Jesus can do. The attack she was under stopped. And she sat up and repeated his prayer. Now Pastor Bloomhart understood that this was a battle that had to be won. God bind the young girl, improved for only a short time, but then went back into convulsions. Over the next year, there were a series of prayer meetings where there seemed some improvement and then a return to torment for the young girl. Now, actually, speaking of these events, the author and pastor and writer Andrew Murray wrote this about Pastor Bloomhart. At the time when Pastor Bloomhart was passing through his terrible conflict with evil spirits and those possessed and seeking to cast them out by prayer, he often wondered what it was that hindered the answer. One day a friend to whom he had spoken of his trouble directed his attention to our Lord's words about fasting. Pastor Bloomhart resolved to give himself to fasting sometimes for more than 30 hours. In his own words, Pastor Bloomhart says, inasmuch as the fasting is before God, in a high degree it strengthens the intensity and power of prayer. I tried it, without telling anyone, and in truth, the later conflict was extraordinarily lightened by it. I could speak with much greater decision. I did not require to be so long present with the sick one, and I felt that I could influence without being present. And the story continues, and finally one night, the battle with this girl and her family came to a fever pitch, and she and her family were delivered. And she improved from that time on and attained complete health. All her former, former ailments, well known to her physicians, completely disappeared. She had what is called the high shoulder, I'm not sure what that is, but a short leg, stomach troubles, and others. And this healing set in motion a chain of miracles. The story continues that miracles just began to occur regularly, including healings. One day a mother came running to Pastor Bloomhart because she had spilled a pot of bullying oatmeal on her three-year-old child. 
They ran to the house where many were gathered, and the child was just screaming in pain, covered with burns. Pastor Blumart picked up the child and prayed, and all pain immediately ceased, and the burns were gone within three days. Parents from another village came to him because their son had an eye disease, and the doctor said his only hope was an operation. Pastor Bloomhart prayed, and his sight was fully restored within three days. People began flowing in from all over to receive prayer for their sicknesses. And that witness says, infirmities of all kinds vanished, eye problems, tuberculosis, eczema, arthritis, and more. Another person who was there at the time later said this, there were so many miracles that I can no longer recall the details. We felt the Lord's nearness so tangibly that they seemed natural, and no one made a great deal of it. See, the kingdom of God had come. Not even in its fullness, but it had come. It was being advanced. That's what life in the kingdom is like. So we fast to set the captives free. Now, we also fast for revelation. This is the cool part, I think, of this sermon. Most of you are at home, I'm assuming, watching this, if you're watching it live, or if you're watching it on YouTube. You're watching it alone, but for the most part, you probably wish somebody, your spouse or a sister or a friend. The point is that friends talk to one another, right? They share the secrets of their hearts. If you have a good friend, that's a hard thing to find. If you have a good friend, there really are no secrets. They know you well, you know them well. That's the, the relationship between a husband and a wife. It used to be that way, between a parent and a child. But they just don't keep secrets from each other. Now, this relationship principle, this is how God relates to us. Abraham was called a friend of God. James writes of him, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. That is a great compliment. Would you like to be known as a friend of God? Because of their friendship, this is kind of one of the points I'm getting to under fasting for the purpose of revelation, God questioned, and I just find this amazing, and it speaks to the very nature of God, God questioned if he should reveal to Abraham that he's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember that story? He just goes and tells Sarah and Abraham and Sarah that a year from now you're going to have a child. And oh, by the way, he and his, the two other angels are going down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And yet, he pauses and says, should I let Abraham in on what we're doing? I mean, why would he do that? Is there anything special about Abraham? It says, the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham 
what I'm about to do. Isn't it amazing that he even think that? And of course, he tells Abraham what he's about to do. And Abraham begins a negotiation with God to try and save the people and spare the city. But, folks, this is how God relates to his, to his children. It's a relationship. It's a, it's a friendship. It's one based on, on love. Jesus said this, that we are his friends. And we are to know what he's doing. John 15, 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you what? Friends. And what is the nature of that relationship? For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. He's not keeping anything from the disciples, his friends. He hears from the Father, he tells the disciples, and the disciples only. Because remember, it was hidden from the rest of the people, the meaning of the parables and some of the teachings. Only those whom God had chosen to open their eyes to give them understanding. It's friendship. Abraham was a friend of God. The disciples were a friend of God. And we are to be friends of God, friends with Jesus. Friendship, insight, understanding the revelation from God, that continues even after Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven. He said this, it is better for Jesus, Jesus said, it's better for him to leave so we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, is now the one who will tell us what is to come. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Let me pause here for a moment. So the Father, or the Son, whether, whoever it was, the, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, is revealing to Abraham what is to come. Jesus reveals to his disciples what is to come. He warned them about what was to come, his crucifixion. The Holy Spirit, don't watch this, he will tell us, what is to come as well. He will reveal the future to us. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak in his own authority, but whatever he hears from the Father, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Would you like to know what is to come in your life? Did you know that that is a resource that is available to you? It will come through the Holy Spirit. He will tell you what is to come. Well, why? Because it's the nature of God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's, what he hears from the Father, he is revealing to you to tell you what is to come. He doesn't want to hide secrets from you because you're friends. Do you understand now why the Holy Spirit is called a gift? Do you need guidance? Do you want to live in, in, in reality, i.e. live according to the truth, see reality for what it is? I mean, how many of you have, have ever 
had to review somebody and they have some issues in your life, and, or you're married and you're, you're, your spouse, they don't see things about themselves, right? They're called blind spots. You have help. We have help. We have one who will guide us into the truth, guide us into reality. So we live based on reality. We live according to the truth. So that's just one part of it. And we know what is to come. Or we can because of the Holy Spirit. Now you've heard me say that my calling out here, a series of dreams and visions by myself and other people, I knew that we were called out to the, even to the Pacific Northwest. God had revealed that to us over time. And sharing that with some of the parents and, uh, at the Little League baseball games when we were living back in Indiana, they were believers. I remember one lady in particular saying, and you've heard me say this before, I wish I had that. And I'm thinking, it's right here. It is for you. Develop a friendship with God. Pursue Him. Seek Him. If you seek Him with what? All your heart, you will find Him. And He will reveal to you His plans. Because it's not in His nature to hide secrets from you. He's always calling you to him, to more personal, deeper, loving relationship. Now, well, what role does fasting play in all of this? Well, I'm going to look at two stories from the life of Daniel to gain a better understanding. In the first year of Darius, this is Daniel 9, verses 1 through 4. In the first year of Darius the son of Asherius, Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So in other words, he reads in his Bible and is able to perceive that the Babylonian captivity in the Babylonian kingdom, it's only going to be a very, for a very short time, 70 years. Now, he was taken captive at the beginning of that, so he knows this time is ending. But that's all he knows. He needs more insight and understanding. So what does he do? Look at verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth, in ashes. So Daniel realizes, I don't know enough. I need more guidance. I need more understanding. And he fasts and he prays. Here's the result in Daniel 9, verses 20 to 23. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, or the angel Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand. There it is. He made me understand. Speaking with me and saying, now listen to this, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. So he is fasting. I need more understanding, insight. God answers that 
prayer. Verse 23, at the beginning of your plea, please, for mercy, a word went out, meaning from the Father, and I have come to tell it to you. Now listen to this. Why in the world would God reveal this or answer Daniel's prayer? For you are greatly loved. Friendship with God. I love you, and I will not hide this from you. I want you to know this. Therefore, consider this word and understand the vision. God then revealed the future to Daniel. And he did it so that not only Daniel would understand, but future generations would understand. He loved Daniel. Daniel was his friend. And he wanted to share what was on his heart with Daniel. But this was not the only time Daniel would need revelation. In Daniel chapter 10, we read this, starting in verse 1 through 6 and verses 11 to 12, and eventually verses 13 and 14. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Verse 2 is a summary of kind of flashback of how he attained this understanding. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Verse 11, and he said to me, here it is again, O Daniel, man greatly loved. God does not want to keep secrets from his friends. Understand the words I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. So in other words, he's doing a partial fast to seek revelation and understanding of this vision. When he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. How did he humble himself before his God? Fasting and prayer. Your words have been heard. So again, why do we fast and pray? What was one of the purposes? To have our prayers heard by God. Here's another example of this. He fasts, he prays, his words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Pause right there. Why did Gabriel come? Or why did this angel come? We came, it says right here, because of his prayer. Let me put you this way. Daniel's praying moved heaven. It moved God to send an angel. 
Now pay close attention to verse 11. Daniel was greatly loved. He was a friend of God. And what did God reveal to his friend? Well, it was to come. Just like Jesus revealed everything he heard from the Father and what was to come. Just like the Holy Spirit's purpose in our lives is to guide us into the truth and to tell us what is to come. It is all consistent throughout the Old and New Testament. Verses 13 and 14. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. In other words, the prayer was answered, God sends this angel, and there is resistance by a, a demonic angel called the prince of Persia. And of course, who was the earthly authority at the time? Well, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So we went from the Babylonian Empire to the Medo-Persian Empire, which is going to be followed by, we know history tells us, the Greek Empire. So over, given to, to in the unseen realm and in the earthly realm, given by God is the kingdom of Persia. And there's a evil spirit, a demon that is over that, controlling, directing things, resisting this revelation. It's so important, moved by Daniel humbling himself in prayer and fasting, that God sends Michael, one of the chief princes, to help this angel. And they battle off this powerful evil spirit, powerful demon, and the angel is able to get through and to give understanding of what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. Now all of that, if you go back in a series of steps, began with what? A man who loved God and God loved him humbled himself with prayer and fasting and God responded and God shared his heart even the future to his friend and we're blessed by that without a doubt I just want you to see this without a doubt there's a close connection a very close connection between the practice of fasting and prayer and receiving of spiritual revelation. You've heard this story before, so I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of it, but my introduction to the world of dreams began with a need. We needed another vehicle when we adopted our first son, Jacob. And being with very little money as a missionary with Camp Crusade for Christ, we sent a letter to supporters for a vehicle fund to receive money which was allowed by the IRS to purchase a, a vehicle. Now, typically you see about, no, roughly $10,000 come in, generally speaking, amongst all the staff at the time. But I was concerned that maybe this wouldn't happen, and so I spent five days in prayer and fasting as this letter went out. And of course, we only saw come in about $1,200 through it all. And that money was already designated to be spent for some training I needed to receive that summer. So in essence, we had nothing. 
But during the middle of that five-day fast, in a, a heightened state of spiritual connection to God, I remembered that I had a dream about a green Toyota 4Runner and that my parents were first going to see it when we traveled to northern Michigan. And I thought, could it be that God is speaking to me through a dream? He'd never done that before, and it was quite frankly weird. Does God still speak today in dreams and visions? But I had nothing else to go on, and God literally had to back me in a corner to force me to trust Him, but I soon learned that that dream was more certain of coming true than the letter I sent out to my supporters. So I prayed that, that His will be done, that that would happen. I didn't know how it was going to work out, but it was God was going to be true to His word. And God spoke to me, said it would happen soon, within a few months after this, this dream. And sure enough, He authored some circumstances where my supporters brought in roughly eight to $10,000 that we used to purchase a vehicle. And of course, we found a green Toyota Foreigner that fit perfectly within our budget. And as I was driving up to northern Michigan to see my parents on Labor Day, which is something we did regularly, it dawned on me as I was driving up there, my parents were going to see this vehicle for the first time in northern Michigan, just like I had dreamed. So the dream played itself out. Everything fit within budget, and God moved. But that was my introduction to the world of dreams and visions. And I have since come to realize what a... a, a precious gift it is to be open to God speaking to me in that way. You've heard me talk about my calling here, a series of dreams and visions. He revealed to me what was to come and why. Because he's a friend. By nature, God is relational. He values friendship and he wants friendship with all of us, all of his children. I really hope that's the point you get out of this. Yet, that you are to be a friend with God because He is by nature friendly and wants to be friends. He wants to share the secrets of His heart with you. And you can find out those secrets if you humble yourself with prayer and fasting. So in summary, here are the five purposes of fasting personal holiness, to change God's mind, to have your prayers heard, to set the captives free, and for revelation. What I'd like you to do this week is just fast, if you feel led to, for one of the five purposes this week. Perhaps you need guidance on a, an issue in your life. Well, fast and pray. Trust the Lord. See what happens. Perhaps you're just caught in maybe that sin cycle. You know, you, you sin, and then you, you, you confess, and you repent, and then you only find yourself committing to sin again, and you're kind of in that sin, confess, repent cycle, and so on. Fast for personal holiness. Perhaps you're in a situation you don't like. Say, God, help me get out of this. Fast for that reason, if you sense what God is calling you to do. You can spend some time fasting and praying for our country. Nobody that's living in reality wants to see what happened to George Floyd with the Minnesota police officer. And I certainly believe in peaceful protests. I do not believe 
in what's going on right now. People have taken this as a license to destroy and to steal. And it's still going on, I saw this morning. There's violence, rioting, looting. People from other states are coming to these cities for the purpose of destroying and stealing and looting. And know, Target, uh, O'Reilly Auto Parts, autos only all burned to the ground in some of these cities. The U.S. Postal Service burned to the ground. A police station burned to the ground. That is not what this country is founded upon. Fast and pray that we'd be delivered from this and for healing for our country. Trust God, that formula of humbling yourself through fasting and praying, and watch what God does. Let's pray. Lord, as we close our time, I thank you for what we've learned through this sermon series on fasting. Again, it's a gracious gift that you've given us, fasting. And I pray that above all things, that we would fast for you and for your purposes. That even if we fast and, and nothing happens, but we are drawn closer to you, it's worth it. I thank you that you are our friends, that you desire friendship with us, that you share your heart with us. May we learn to value that more. And yes, Lord, as we come and seek you, transform us and change us. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great Sunday. God's blessings to you all. Goodbye.